Welcome to the Woe Podcast about horses and horsemanship. I'm your host, John Hare. And I'm Renee Hare. On today's show, we have Callie Crickerberg. Callie is a trainer and clinician located in Petaluma, California, and she has a widely diverse background. She pulls training techniques from many, many different disciplines. I was lucky enough to grow up playing polo. I started playing when I was about nine. I got started pretty young in a hunter-jumper barn, and mm-hmm. I spent about two or three years doing hunter-jumpers. And I got most of my miles on the polo horses, though, on the off-the-track thoroughbreds. Did a little dressage, a little bit of everything in my youth. Got into natural horsemanship for a while, spent about 10 years in that industry, spent a bit of time in reining. I've got a pretty well-rounded training curriculum for my horses, and I think people in horses are able to benefit from the diverse background that I have. I'm not stuck in one, one sport or one discipline. I like to take the best of the disciplines that I've experienced and bring them together in one package. We had a great conversation with Callie and she offers some really great horsemanship advice. We even have a special bonus section at the end (laughs) where we say goodbye and then we usually talk to the interviewees for a little while after. But John couldn't stop himself from asking lots of questions. (laughs) Well, that's why I'm here, right? That's right, yeah. And so I, we asked a, a couple of training questions, and we really want you to be a part of this. If you have a question you'd like to ask a trainer, I mean, why should I get to have all the fun, right? <laughs> There's two ways you can do it. You can do it by emailing us at john at com, or by calling our message line at 661-368-5530. Tell us a little bit about you, a little bit about your horse, and the problem that you're having. If you have a favorite trainer you want us to contact, we'll do our best to get a hold of them and get that answer to your question on an upcoming podcast. We want you to be a part of our horsemanship journey here at the Woe Podcast. So for most of the last week or so, we've been riding around fairly close to home. We're about 100 yards away from a dead-end street that connects to a canal. And from there, we can ride through the farmlands of... Kern County. For miles and miles. And we have some built-in obstacles because people are considerate enough to dump their trash (laughs) and mattresses. And there are farmers with big equipment and there are bicyclists. And motorcyclists. Mm -hmm. Oh, we had a golf cart yesterday. That's right, we did. Yeah. And it's a great way to desensitize your horse or die, either way. (laughs) (laughs) One or the other. <laughs> it's a, Actually, the horses do very well, and we get them used to all kinds of things. And besides all the obstacles that they have, there's also a lot of open space that we can just put them in a long trot, and we can go for miles and miles down the canal bank, in between fields. It's miles and miles, and it's, it's fields. Sometimes things are growing, sometimes they're not. Mm-hmm. We're surrounded by mountains when we can see them. So we get to work our horses, you know, on the long stuff, and then we get little places, There's a, there are some open areas that we get to kind of uh, go through some exercises and do some work. And John has a favorite game, Simon says, and he'll have us, even if there's a group of us, we'll line up and, and we'll do um, yield your forequarter 180 degrees clockwise or yield your hindquarter 360 counterclockwise. It's pretty fun. We all do it. We've all gotten better at it put the horses through some paces so it's just not sitting on top of them while we are strolling down the canal bank. Mm -hmm. 
After all, it's called riding, not sitting. There you go. <laughs> well, let's get to our interview with Callie Crickerberg because it was a whole lot of fun. And uh, she'll tell us about her life with horses and a little bit about her training method. And then we've got some special horsemanship tips at the end. We're speaking with Callie Crickerberg today from Petaluma, California. Good afternoon, Callie. Good afternoon, John. How are you? We're doing well. You know, when we have a, a trainer on the show, we'd like to get to know them a little bit better. Can you give us a little history about your your life with horses and how you got into being a clinician and trainer? I was one of the lucky ones that was riding before I could walk. I feel pretty blessed in that regard. My uh, parents always had me on one of the old old ranch horses that were around. Did you grow up in California? No, I actually am a Midwest girl. I grew up in Illinois. Mm-hmm. It was, again, fortunate. I grew up on a bigger bigger farm. We had about 640 acres, cattle, sheep, stock dogs, and horses. Lots of horses were always around. I was lucky enough to grow up playing polo. I started playing when I was about nine. That gives you a good seat. Yes, for (laughs) sure. Yeah. So just around a lot of thoroughbreds off the track, um, we'd get our horses out of the sale barn. So I got a lot of experience with pretty high energy horses and getting them, you know, turning them into solid mounts for polo. And that's, there's quite a journey right there (laughs) and a lot to be learned right there when you're working with those high energy horses and taking them into a complex sport like polo. I bet. Right. Did you learn most of your horsemanship from your parents? I got started pretty young in a hunter jumper barn and Mm -hmm. I spent about two or three years doing hunter jumpers. And I got most of my miles on the polo horses, though, on the off-the-track thoroughbreds. Did a little dressage, a little bit of everything um, in my youth. Uh, I got into natural horsemanship for a while, spent about 10 years in that industry, mm-hmm. spent a bit of time in reining. I've got a pretty well-rounded training curriculum for my horses, and I think people people in horses are able to benefit from the diverse background that I have. I'm not one to... I don't know how to say it, but I'm not stuck in one one sport or one discipline. I like to take the best of the disciplines that I've experienced and bring them together in one package. And it sounds like you've, they're pretty varied. Yeah. When you were growing up and, and riding polo horses, were you riding a lot of different horses or was there just kind of, was there one that you, well, I'm sure there was one that you favored, but did, were you riding a lot of different horses? Of course I had my favorites, but yeah, I spent a lot of time on a lot of different horses. We'd, we'd get in anywhere from, oh, 15, 17 new horses every year. Oh gosh. Yeah. What I really enjoyed about how I grew up is there was no pressure on the horses. There's no timeline. They needed to make progress, but we had a really um, good foundation program for those horses because we had the cattle, we supplied cattle for the local team penning mm-hmm. organization. So we'd gather cattle a lot with these young thoroughbreds. Um, we had 640 acres of trails and pastures, and we'd gather cattle, move horses. We had a lot of turnouts in the winter, so we'd have probably 100, 175 head of horses through the winter. Wow. And we'd move move groups of horses from pasture to pasture with horses and if anybody has ever moved horses in big groups before if you're not thinking way ahead and you know have your riding horse you know well trained it's it can get a little hairy so i got a lot of really good experiences there a lot of argentine thoroughbreds were around because polo is big in argentina and Mm -hmm. they 
there's a lot of players here that ship horses back and forth from Argentina and those anybody who's been around one those they're pretty wispy they're kind of the <laughs> the mustang of the Argentine world wow i didn't realize polo was that big in the midwest yeah it it was it's pretty big it's it's frank a little bit since i've moved away um there but there were some big clubs when i was wow. a kid yeah. they were going right outside of chicago in the oakbrook area and naperville some real big and what does it take to be a good polo horse i mean and we're trail riders and you know we want a horse that's kind of responsive and maybe not too overly sensitive what does it take to have a horse that's really besides the athleticism to be a good polo horse they have to be pretty solid character you know there's of course there's horses that get high and excited out there but for the most part you need them to be able to to dismiss everything that's going on around them and stay right with you go right exactly where you've asked them to go not deviate from that path because there are seven other players out there besides yourself you need that horse in tune with you and the handy you're your horse is, the better he stops, the better he turns, the better he runs, the better he rates, the better player you'll be. Your ability to perform is very dependent on your horse's level of training. Because if your horse is pushy or dull or <laughs> the opposite of handy, whatever, whatever you want to call that. Not broke. <laughs> the, the, yeah, not broke. It puts you at a big disadvantage, you know, and growing up, I was a couple of generations removed from a guy named Billy Wayman. And Billy was a very well-known, kind of the Tom Dorrance of the polo mm. world. Oh, yeah. You know, he's, he's kind of the guru. He's well-known in the polo industry, but probably not well-known outside of it. But he was a pretty special, pretty special man. And the people that I learned from, Sandy and Will Barbier, had... Um, been influenced quite a lot by Billy. His son Tommy Wayman was a ten goal polo player. He was one of the one of the highest rated United States polo players mm. there was. Anyways, the way I train was very, very much influenced by him and another player that I worked for when I was in college his name was Ronnie Wayman. He was a, an amazing horseman. He also was heavily influenced by Billy Wayman. What what set those guys apart? Their horsemanship, honestly. Um, Ronnie was a professional player, and he pretty much would get all the horses nobody else could get along with. You know, they they call them the throwaways or mm-hmm. everybody else's garbage. Ronnie could make it look like he was riding silk. You know, he never, you never saw any kerfluffle out on the field. He was just as smooth as silk, and he never knew that those horses were the kinds of horses they were. He could make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. He was pretty. He was an amazing horseman. He he uh, taught me a lot. How do those guys do that, Callie? <laughs> he was the first person to say, "Callie, you've got to make it their idea." Mm-hmm. Oh, there you go. That and I was struggling one day. I was in the barn. I was bridling this mare, and she was really touchy about her ears. Really, I really liked the mare, but she's really touchy about her ears. And I was, I had worked and worked and worked with her. And Ronnie was one of those things. He walked by and he saw I was struggling with her, and he just—that's all he said. He's like, "You got to make it her idea." And then he just kept right on walking. <laughs> and boy, that made me think. It was one of those times where just a one thing was said that that really sunk in and and made a big difference in me as a horseman. 
Mm-hmm. It's sort of the beginning of your natural horsemanship experience. Yeah, I think people want to people want to call it natural horsemanship. I I think it's just being natural with a horse. Mm-hmm. Um, I Ronnie wasn't a natural horseman. He just was. He was a horseman. You know. Right. He was an amazing, amazing horseman, and so was Sandy Barbier. She's the she's the person that I got. I spent miles riding, <laughs> riding side by side with Sandy, and we, she and I did a lot of the the training of those young thoroughbreds off the track. I kind of got sidetracked somewhere. We we'd get those new horses in every year get them started in the polo. Of course, we've got all this background work that we're doing. We're out gathering cattle, gathering horses, moving cattle, moving horses, playing polo, you know, getting them used to the game, introducing it to them easy, getting them used to being worked at speed. Some of the better ones would be sent down to Florida, which is where Ronnie played. Mm -hmm. And they generally would get sold in Florida if they didn't, they'd come back for another season in Illinois and we'd get a new group of young horses in. And they kind of would rotate in layers through like that. So we always had a couple couple seasoned horses around, but a lot of young horses. And that's kinda how that's kinda how our operation worked. The horses were part of the farm payment, mm-hmm. just like the cattle and the sheep. And there's something pretty valuable about that, you know, being able to, to sit on that quantity. Oh yeah. You know? but yet not have the pressure of, you know, the security deadline. There was no 30, 60, 90 days. Mm-hmm. Something that Ronnie, Ronnie, used, he'd shake his head and he goes, we never used to sell horses if we hadn't been riding them for two years. So he All goes, right. that takes two years to make a good solid horse. These people that are turning out horses after 90 days, they're not turning out a solid product. And it's not fair to, it's not fair to anyone. When you got your horses in that were uh, young, how young was? Yeah, we didn't want anything much younger than three. We'd mm-hmm. take a we'd take a horse that was two and a half. We didn't want anything much younger than three or much older than four. If they were much older than four, they needed to be pretty special. Right, and polo is kind of unusual uh, for me. It's it's always fascinated me is that you know when you train a horse. A lot of that training's on one-on-one, but then you throw them into battle, like you said, with seven other horses, and that's a whole yeah. different environment. How do you train for that uh, that chaos that goes on during a, a a polo match? Little by little, we had a polo field on the farm that Sandy's husband Will put in by himself with this giant scraper <laughs> that he bought one year, and um, Sandy and I would go out and we'd you know, ease these horses into that body contact and mm-hmm. then the different approaches and angles that occur in the game. The most drastic angle that you have to teach them to be comfortable with is a head-on-head, you know, running right. into... Now, you, in polo, your mallets are always on your right side. So when you meet, it's called meeting, you're running head-to-head with someone. So they're running at you and you're running at them, but like you're jousting. on opposite sides of the ball. Um, yeah, it's like jousting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And that takes quite a bit of courage mm-hmm. um, and training to get a horse confident with that. And that they don't change path. You know, right. if they change path, change course in the middle of, of, of that maneuver, you're in trouble. You're, you know, you're getting somebody else in trouble. So we would practice all these pieces and parts of the game just out together and build these young horses confidence that way. And 
we played what's called green horse polo. A lot of it, you know, not tournament polo, not where, you know, money or ego is on the line. It, we just kind of, their first time out, we just kind of drift around the outskirts, you know, and let everybody else hit the ball and do their thing. And we'd come in and everybody pretty much knew that we were, we were always riding green horses. So they'd kind of let us hit the ball and not bother us and let those horses get a little confidence. And then we'd get out of the way and let the play carry on. And you just ease them into it that way. And there's something very valuable that I learned there. And that was being able to detach speed from emotion. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a piece of my training. And another thing that people and horses benefit from me is I'm very, very good at being able to increase speed in such a way in a horse, but remove the emotion. And that's where you get, that's how you build a sound mind in athlete is when you can do something at, at a high speed, but that horse's emotions are under control. Yeah, they're under control. And now you've just released your uh, program, the Balanced Horse Training Program. Tell us a little bit about that. What I'm trying to do is bring the best of all my, the worlds that I've been in, uh, polo, uh-huh. uh, reining, dressage, jumping, natural horsemanship. I'm trying to bring all the best of those worlds into one package because that's what makes me me. Right. There's a lot of times I look at a jumper and I go, man, if I could put just a little bit of rainer in that horse, <laughs> that would make that horse, you know, that much better. Or, you know, I'll see a rainer and I go, man, if I could just put a little polo in that horse, <laughs> I could help him with that thing. Right. And so I'm always, when I'm watching different, even Jim Conn, I grew up, I'd done a lot of Jim Conn. I spent two years running NBHA in Florida. And even that, it's like, You know, I see there's a lot of, you talk about emotion attached to speed. I worked really hard on the, on the horses that were under my care to turn, put a little polo in them, teach them, Hey, you can handle speed and not put it, not get your emotions involved here. Cause that just made them a better athlete. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the thing that I can offer people and horses. It's very different than everybody else. You know, I've got the ranching background, I've got the polo background, I've got all these different things, and I'm always drawing from those experiences. You know, I was riding a dressage horse. He had been trained as Grand Prix maneuvers, shown pre-St. George, and he he would drop his shoulder going around, you know, the, the end corner. And mm-hmm. so I just took a little bit of a rainer move to pick that shoulder up, and it w- it surprised him. He, I could tell the horse was like, wow, nobody's, nobody's done that before, <laughs> you know? So there's certain ways to correct maneuvers that people get, they kind of get closed off and they only have this certain set of tools. And I try not to ever get, get myself locked in. I try to be able to adjust to whatever I need to when I'm training and having those different backgrounds to draw on, Mm-hmm. really helps me build a really solid, solid horse. Are you competing in any discipline now, Kelly? At the moment, no. Just <laughs> focusing the mo- on the training? I've, and the- Yeah, I've got, I've mainly got my foundation training program going on here in Petaluma and running the roads, honestly, right now with the expos and clinics. Keeping you busy? <laughs> yeah, that's keeping me busy. 
But I'm hoping things will settle down here and I'll get back in the show arena here pretty soon. What would you be looking at doing? You've done so much. You know, I'd love to get into, there's um, a pretty good working equitation following out here. So it's kind Mm -hmm. of dressage on steroids. Oh, John and I did it and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm really, I've got a... I've got a couple of horses that lend themselves that direction. And I think I'm going to dabble in that and see how that goes for those horses. Yeah. That'd be and fun. I love, I love dressage and I love, because I love the purity of gait that they encourage and that is rewarded. I'd like, I'd love to just to dabble in that and see how that goes. And I've got a couple of rainers, so I'd like to get back in the raining pen. And of course I'm, I'm out on the polo field twice a week now, not, not playing tournaments, but just, just keeping it going, just Very keeping good. my horses tuned up for that. I saw your video of uh, you riding on your polo field out there, and it, it's just lovely. It's grass, and I didn't see a gopher hole in there. How do you? <laughs> oh <laughs> man, it it there's nothing like that. I tell you that big wide open green, and oh. it's, it's really good for the horses too because there's not many places they get that much green out front in front of them. Right. You know, and they have to learn to stay with you and not just. <laughs> run like the wind you Take know off. And it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. yeah it's peaceful and it's so good for their mentality you know it's so good for them they get it. and I like to I like to move on a little bit and and they do too so it's like you can work a little bit of speed and not have to worry about like you said a gopher hole or something <laughs> or having to turn right away because I'm at the end of the arena you know you can go ahead and push them on and push them forward a little bit till they so they're like, yeah, how about we slow down a little bit? <laughs> it's like, yeah, perfect. That's yeah. great. So it's really, really good for their for their education and their insides, you know, when they can get to get out and stretch out a little bit and but stay under control. It's mm-hmm. just just builds a really good solid horse, really good mentality in your horse. And of all the places that you've worked with horses, uh, back in Illinois and in California, was there one place that you that you say you learned the most? Ooh, one place. Boy, that's hard. You know, I still have to go back to Fannie and Will Barbier's place growing up in Illinois, you know, that because because of the nature of what we did with the cattle and the sheep and the horses, you know, running that many, you know, as a kid, you know, we had you get everybody up and vaccinate them, get everybody up and worm them, you know, horses that were not ours. They were turnouts for the winter and may or may not be able to catch them, you know, learning how to get along with the horse as a horse, you know, not as a pet, but as a horse and get along with his nature and figure out how to get done the things we needed to get done. Having a job, I don't think there's anything that can replicate the bond that you get with a horse other than actually doing work with that horse, right? going out and gathering cattle, your livelihood and life being on the line and that horse or that dog being an intricate part of getting your job done. There's something really special there. And I think I try to encourage people to get in the show pen as much as possible, because I think that's a surrogate way of getting that, that bond that I think everybody in some way or shape or form is looking for. There's not, there's fewer and fewer places where you can actually get out and you, you have to go ride a fence line or you have to go get that cow that's got an abscess. You got to get it, you got to get it up. You got to get it out of the herd. You got to get it in the trailer. You know, you've got to, 
or, you know, the cattle got out and now you got to go get them back in before <laughs> they get out on the road and someone gets hit, you know, having that important work to do, there's just something really special about that. And man, I learned a lot growing up because we had a lot mm-hmm. of work to do. Right. That's just a lot of different experiences, yes. And the show yeah. pen is a, is probably today's closest thing to that, where you have to go in yeah. and accomplish a job real quickly. Together, yeah. be a team. I, yeah. Yes, you have to, because it, you rely on them. They have to change leads here or change direction here or cross the bridge or whatever that thing might be. They they are an intricate part of the success of that situation, and that's that's the only thing it can come close in my mind to actually being out on the ranch and working, having those jobs to do. Right. And one thing you said earlier in our conversation was that when you would move horses from pen to pen, that that could get sideways real easy. Does it take a special horse to move other horses? Because he sees those horses being moved from one pasture to another, and he may just want to take off and go with them, whether you're on his back or not. Yes. Um, I don't think it takes a special horse. It takes it takes good training. You've got to, and that's a, that's a big part of polo and why I love the polo horse and, you know, an old polo horse, they are tried and true. <laughs> like they, you can turn them into a great kid's horse or, or anything because everybody's been on that trail ride where somebody starts racing somebody else and they take off and then all the horses on the trail ride go berserk because those horses, they're herd, you know, and they have the right. herd mentality and they want to run with the herd and nobody's ever taught the animal not to run with the herd except for in polo (laughs) and they learn that to stay with their person and they and you you become a herd too instead of them um, taking flight with the other animals they learn to just stay with you an old polo horse you know on those trail rides they'll just say sayonara sorry (laughs) (laughs) bye-bye sorry about your luck we'll just stay we'll just stay back here and walk you know we're (laughs) we're going to conserve our energy i'm always about the the mental state of a horse you know i want to work and i want to go do that do the things i want to do but i want the horse to be at rest at peace understand his job so that he's not nervous and worried and i take pride in being able to build that into a horse that good solid nothing bothers me kind of horse Mm -hmm. back to your original question it's mostly just training when we move those bigger groups of horses we wouldn't take a green horse out there and do it because that'd be throwing them in the deep end we take you know one of our intermediate or made horses out to do that because they have to be able to let go of that herd mentality and stay with you to be able to get the job done not go with the group and um, that takes definite training now is the uh the new program that you have the balanced horse training program is that for just about everybody who owns a horse or are you targeting that program to a specific group? Um, it's for everybody. I think I have something to offer everyone, no matter, no matter if they're a rainer, a dressage person, a jumper, a polo person. I mean, polo is wonderful, but it's got its cringe factors too. There's sometimes I look at a polo horse and I go, man, if you put a little dressage or rainer in that horse, that would be a lot, you know, that'd be a lot smoother ride for that person. Everybody'd be happier kind of thing. So I just always try to get people to think outside the box. Don't get stuck in the box of your discipline and only use the the tools and the strategies within that one discipline. If you feel like you're running up against a brick wall, look outside your discipline. And that's what I'm trying to, to bring forward with my program is, I've gathered 
experientially, you know, I've gathered a lot of information along my lifetime and my life's journey to help those that I can help those people in those situations. Um, as much of anything, I'm a problem horse person. Mm-hmm. Someone's got an issue. They say, Hey, Callie, what, what do you think about this? What do you think's going on here? And a lot of times I'll just draw from, you know, if I can get my hands on the horse, I'll draw from a reining box or I'll draw from the polo box. But there's not a lot of people that have those different boxes to draw from, you know. Right. right. Let's say you did want to put a little bit more dressage in a polo horse. What What does that mean? What would you, how would you accomplish that? Polo is, a, is all about function, mm-hmm. right? And the old form follows function. It's, there's not much form to it. Not unless that individual has the skills that riding those polo has the skills to build some form into their horse. Um, a lot of times the horses, they're inverted or they're open in their mouths and stuff when their, you know, bit contact is made and all that stuff. And all that is, is instinct that's never been educated and retrained to be learned behavior. And a lot of horses can go their whole lifetime with those instincts left inside of them. Right. You know, a stiff neck, a stiff pole, stiff jaw, you know, heavy mouth, all that's all that's instinct. You either want to retrain that, know that that's a possibility, or you don't, or you don't care. I like to have, I'm a form follows function. I want the horse functional first, safe first, and then form, then the beauty. So I would like to pull a horse when someone run down and, and checked to go around a corner or to bank around a corner, that that horse came back and looked a little bit more like a dressage horse relaxing across the top line, relaxing through their neck. You know, it just, it's easier on them right. when they're, when they're doing that, those higher performance maneuvers correctly. But that takes, that takes a lot of training and know-how to get done. Mm-hmm. It's not an absolute necessity. It just makes it nicer and easier on them. You know, it's like us going over and bending over and picking something up with our back versus walking over and getting our feet you know, shoulder width apart, squatting down, using our leg muscles and our right. our glutes and our hams. And it takes training and, and forethought, right, to pick up that heavy object versus just kind of bending over and then, oops, tweaked our back because mm-hmm. right. mm-hmm. we didn't use our leg muscles. You know, we, we have a big brain and we, we're told that all the <laughs> yeah. time, but we still prefer to go over there and just bend over and pick it up <laughs> easier. Horses are no different, you know, right. and it takes a lot of, of effort on the human's part to help teach them, show them how to use themselves more athletically and yeah, be, and way. so it's easier on their joints, you know, on their backs and their necks and their mouths and all that good stuff. One of my favorite questions to ask our trainers is, what is one thing that most people can do that will help build that responsiveness back into their horse? Maybe they maybe it's one thing they neglect to do or one thing that they can do proactively to kind of build that relationship with their horse. It's pretty much as easy as leave them alone when they're right. Make it a little bit hard on them when they're not right or they're leaning on you or they're hanging on you. But as soon as they start coming back your way, you got to leave them alone and you got to make everything go quiet. You got to get your legs off them, get your hands out of their mouth. Just make everything go quiet and just sit 
and they'll start coming to you quicker because my favorite analogy is I always try to show the horse the free spot and the free space, you know, show them the freedom because a dull horse will get more sensitive because he's trying to just find where you leave him alone. And a nervous horse will get calmer because he just wants to know where it's safe. Hmm. So having that concept, that free spot concept in mind when you're putting your leg on them, when they move away into the free space, get your leg off of them, you know, have hands that hold, don't pull. You know, there's a teamster that I spent some time with driving those big one ton horses around (laughs) and everything is about your hands and about your feel. And it was amazing what he got done with his hands. I just, blew my mind how responsive those horses, those big giant things were to such a soft touch. And his thing was, there's no way out of a pull. There's no way when you're pulling on your horse's mouth, there's no answer for the horse to, to get, you know, there's always gray. Yeah. But if you hold, if you hold the horse can, can lean on his own pressure and get off his own pressure until he can find that free space. And I carry that through with my leg aids my rain aids, whatever it is, I always try to make sure there's a free spot for that horse to get to. That's a good piece that of advice. Because that helps motivate advice. the dull horse and helps calm the nervous horse. Yeah, very good. And and you train dogs too, don't you? Well, yeah, I have a couple Kelpies now. I grew up showing Rottweilers, actually. Oh, we had film and confirmation. You were really busy as a kid. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. You have no idea. I was a lucky kid. Lots and lots of animals. We showed our Rottweilers in confirmation, obedience, herding, and tracking. The Rottweiler, honestly, is probably why I am the trainer I am today, because that's a breed, because of their nature, they're they're bred not to be afraid of humans, and there's something very different about that, you know. Mm -hmm. They'll challenge you in a way that other breeds may not ever challenge you. And you have to be able to lead them, but not intimidate them. And there's something very clean about the relationship. And I, I believe they, that breed in specific built the the horse trainer in me that I am today, because I'm always leading. It's not a contest. I don't ever get in a contest with an animal. I'm, I'm always leading, but I try always to be fair and animals understand that life may not be fair for us, but we have to make it fair for them. Right. And that that's when they can, they can have peace in the work that they do and understand what their, what their job is and understand their world around them. And make our life nicer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And speaking of life, it sounds like you've had a wonderful life. I noticed thinking doing my, my reading that you're also working on an autobiography. Yes, I'm working on I'm working on a few different things. I've got a lot of irons in the fire. I write for Chrome uh, Magazine, the, uh-huh. the official publication for the American Paint Horse Association. I've been writing for them for about three years now. Wow! And we're compiling those articles into one one book, one mm-hmm. ebook, and that'll be coming out pretty soon. And I've got a couple other books in the works. So hopefully be looking for those here in the next 6, 12 months. Sounds good. And if people want to find out more about Callie Crickerberg, how, where can we send them? Um, you can follow me pretty closely on Facebook, Callie mm-hmm. Crickerberg's Training Barn. And you can also just look at look me up on the um, my website at CallieCrickerberg.com. 
Awesome. Well, this has been a lot of fun, Kelly. We really appreciate you taking time and uh, joining us on today's show. Well, thank you very much. I appreciated the question. You probably thought the interview was over, but (laughs) I couldn't stop asking questions. And Kelly was kind enough to stay on the line and give me some pointers on how to keep a horse from getting a little bit sour in the in the ring and about the different ways that you can bring the level up on your horse. Here's a little bit more with Callie Crickerberg. My my fall is packed and getting more packed. <laughs> <laughs> and do you like traveling like that? It's rewarding to do especially once I get a group going. Mm-hmm. It's really rewarding cuz people there's a lot of people that are stuck out there and I I enjoy helping them get unstuck. I enjoy helping those horses that are kind of frustrated or kind of dull or nervous or worried. I like, I like bringing peace to those animals worlds and Mm -hmm. I like helping people have success and help them be better trainers. I have my program, but I, I try to always make it about whatever the horse needs, you know, not, not do something just because it's, it's a program you know, to do is right. what does that horse need? And that's, I think, refreshing to, to a lot of people. And that's why we started the show is because we knew that there was, we were stuck for a long time and started the show because we were stuck and we wanted to talk to people to help us get unstuck but didn't know where to go. And it just, hmm. over five years, it just kind of grew from there. Oh, wow. That's really neat. Very much like your situation, we get advice from all kinds of different trainers and experiences. Mm-hmm. We got to experience the working equitation. That was a whole new world to us. And yeah, I think that's going to be a great sport. It's, yeah. it's getting stronger, and there's a pretty good little community right here that I want to get involved in. I've only been right here for two years. In working equitation, when you're working with a horse inside that ring and working on those maneuvers, how do you keep him from getting just burned out and and keep from getting him to hate going in there because he knows well once i step between those into that rectangle i'm i'm just gonna be doing the same old stuff over and over again every time you step into a re- an arena doesn't mm-hmm. matter if it's a raining arena dressage arena working equitation arena whatever that is you've got to either know where your horse is from the day before Mm-hmm. Or find where he is. And what I mean there is you've got to find the edges of his knowledge. On each maneuver, where does his edge lie? Mm-hmm. And then just push it a little bit. Get 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 a little bit improvement. Get a little bit, you know, a little bit faster or a little bit deeper collection or a little bit more haunches in. Or, you know, you push that a little bit. And when they give you that effort, you... you give you that effort consistently so it's not just a shot in the dark and right. nobody really knows if they actually, you know, the blind squirrel, <laughs> you know, it's like that was a hit or miss kind of thing. Make sure it's repeatable a couple times and then go away from it and then right. go do something else. And that way he feels success every time. And it's kind of a similar analogy as the free spot. It's like right. you push him and show him that if he tries, and he, and he works at what you've tasked him to work at. And then he get in, he tries, he gets, you know, set free, he gets a little bit more rain, he gets to walk, he, you know, whatever he gets the release. 
Right. Pretty soon they'll be they'll be taking you in the arena because you always my thing is always release release on when things are calm and soft or calmer and softer. Mm. And if you're always releasing on when things are calm and soft or calmer and softer, they'll be like, well, shoot, mm. I'm going to go in there because everything's calm and soft. You just repeat that in their brain. And that's how they start thinking. They, they're look, they'll start hunting the, the proverbial ball instead of trying to hunt how to get away from you or get away from the line that you're trying to ride or anything right. like that. They're, they'll start hunting the ball. Where is it? Where's the line? Where's the position? What, where do you want me? Because they want to get there because they know you'll turn them loose. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I think a lot of people go in there and go, it's kind of like having the horse ride on the blackboard a thousand times. I will side pass another step. I will side pass <laughs> another step. And they figure if they do it a thousand times, by the time they get to 999, that horse should be doing it very good. But it's just the opposite because by the, opposite, yeah. the 47th time, the horse is going, screw this. I don't want to do this no more. Yeah, I'm getting out of here. And you yeah. can write that on the wall. Yeah. <laughs> here's the chalk. Yeah, here's the chalk. <laughs> I can't hold it in my hoof anymore. The, also, look at, like, a lot of people don't know how you increase the degrees of difficulty. Right. You increase the degrees of difficulty by position, length of time in the position, speed, and environment. Mm -hmm. Those are, if you can, you know, brand that in your brain. So if you're asking your horse for a haunches in and he, he doesn't do any haunches in, he just goes, he's like a brick when you put huh? your leg back. <laughs> Go until the position is just one step to the inside, right? Uh -huh. And that's that. And then you let him go, and then you put your leg back and you work at it until you get one step, and then you let him go, until he, you know, or maybe that's not that's not an easy that's not an easy mind picture. Think about a foal when you are getting him ready for the farrier. You don't just go up to that foal and pick his leg up and hike it out to the side and hold <laughs> it up in the air right. for the length of time that it takes for the guy to put a shoe on, do you? Right. No, yeah. you. The yeah. position is just at first. It's just boop, up off the ground. That's all. That's all you ask that baby to do. And then maybe it's you know, but it's straight up under his belly. And then maybe after he gets good at just picking it up for a second, straight up under his belly. Maybe you have it up for five seconds, straight up under his belly. And then you change the the position a little bit. You take it out to the side because he's got to learn to be able to take it out to the side and up for five seconds. Right. You know so. That's how you increase the degrees of difficulty. And I don't know if people, and that's where you rub up against the edges of their knowledge in those four categories. Yes. You know, the environment's a big one. You can have everything going great at home and you change right. the environment. And, yeah. oh man, then you lose 20% of your training. Mm -hmm. You have to just be aware that when you change and you go to a show, their focus isn't the same, their attention isn't the same. So the timing isn't the same. So the responses aren't the same. So everything kind of diminishes a small amount. When you're at the show and you, you go, well, my horse isn't really with me right now. Uh, do you immediately put them to work and try to get them back with you or give them an opportunity to soak things in a little bit, then gradually start working? Or how do you approach that type of situation? That's an all-depend situation. I like to do a little bit of both. I, I don't believe you can demand that they pay full attention to you mm -hmm. 
you might be able to get that attention on you, but they're still going to be stirring in the back of their mind and they're going to be wound up in that flower pot that you've gone by and they're not, they're not spooking at because they're being respectful of you. They've never absorbed that. That's just a flower pot. It's not a monster. They've mm-hmm. never been able to give the time to soak on that, look at it, observe it, realize it's a flower pot. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a boogie monster. I, I'm the kind of trainer I want it all. I want confidence, uh, trust, obedience, sensitivity. I want all those things. I don't want I don't want an overly confident horse that's not sensitive, you know, and I don't want an overly obedient horse that's not confident in his environment. So I try to let them soak in their environment, observe it. Because if you watch horses when they go into, an, into a new pasture, mm-hmm. they don't just take off running right away. They walk around and they look at things oh, and it's sniff not, the ground. and that's usually when yeah. people go, Oh, they're going to be okay. And they walk away and then the horse takes off running and they didn't see the fence and they hit the fence or something like that. Mm-hmm. But the accident mm-hmm. always happens after you leave. You've got, <laughs> they walk around and they look at stuff. So I mm-hmm. try to mimic that when I'm in a new place. Now, if they're just out of their mind, I start tasking them, but I try to task in a way that I'm not adding I'm not adding fuel to the fire. I'm just burning up the fuel that's already there. And that is some horsemanship right there. That's when you got (laughs) to know how much you're, you're doing it. So you're not adding anything to it. And I see a lot of that too. People are like, Oh, get their feet busy, get their feet busy. And it's like, well, (laughs) it's more tasking them, you know, so that there's always a release point for them to, to settle back down again. Otherwise some of those hotter bred horses, you just, run them out of their mind kind of thing just and keeps escalating yes, yeah yes yeah and they just wash out and then <laughs> there's no progress that's been made well cool well well thanks again we got a little <laughs> uh, bonus section yeah. there <laughs> okay now that will really do it for this week thanks so much to kelly Crickerberg for joining us today so you can find out more about kelly on her facebook page at kelly Crickerberg's training bar or at kelly Crickerberg.com. And I'll have all those links in the show notes at woepodcast.com. Which is much easier to spell than Crickerberg. It is. <laughs> if you'd like to support the Woe Podcast and offset some of our production costs, you can do it very easily by visiting woepodcast.com and clicking on the the Patreon button. It's very easy. It's all over the website. And there's a new way that you can help out the Woe Podcast. On wopodcast.com, on the homepage, we have Amazon banner. An Amazon banner ad. So if you're going to buy something from Amazon, say you need some shampoo or detangler <laughs> or a new set of reins. Oh, now you're talking. And you're going to buy it anyway from Amazon. Go to wopodcast.com first, click on the Amazon banner ad. It will take you to Amazon. You can make your purchase, and we get a little taste of that. And that's a very easy way to help support the Well Podcast. We'd appreciate you giving that a shot. All the episodes of the show are available at iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. And if you subscribe, you can get them sent directly to your computer or mobile device as soon as they're available. And while you're there, please rate and review the Well Podcast on whatever platform you're getting it from, because it helps other people find this wonderful podcast about horses and we're also on facebook instagram and twitter so 
follow us there. We try to post every once in a while, and we try to put some good stuff out. Yes, you do. Thanks for sharing this podcast with your friends and riding buddies. Until next time, go have some fun with your horses. Bye-bye, everybody. Sitting on top of them while uh, we stroll down the canal, blame. The, while we stroll down.